These are people who in their workday environment are still given the freedom to be curious. And curiosity to me only can happen with good culture. Life is going great until one day you're out of work. No matter how it happened, you need to find a new job. Pronto. The problem is, no one ever taught you how to navigate the ever-shifting and ever-changing wasteland of applying for a job in the modern market. I'm Rob Conlon, and here on Recruiting Hell, I help people get jobs. I'm on a mission to help educate 10,000 job seekers on the best ways to get hired in the modern job market. No matter your field, this show is designed to help you level up your job hunting game and escape the many circles of recruiting hell. Step into my studio and let's get you the hell out of here. This episode of Recruiting Hell is generously supported by our friends at CoinList, one of the fastest growing companies in the cryptocurrency space. CoinList is hiring. Visit www.coinlist.co slash jobs to apply. Tell them Rob sent you. Hello again, folks. It's Rob here at Recruiting Hell, and thanks for joining us for another episode. Today we have part two of our conversation with my good friend Chris Zahn about company culture and how to find a good one and maybe avoid some of the ones that aren't so good as well. We'll jump right back into it. Here we go. Right, and you're being, you're being honest with yourself. You're being honest with them. And I think, listeners, if you want to learn how to be that honest with yourself, you know, Walking into an environment like that and realizing that it doesn't fit you, you're going to know. You're going to, if something is really amiss, and again, you should be possibly, you know, a little bit more flexible, would you say, Chris, in the first 30 Agreed. days? Yeah. But if it's if it's really feeling sour by the time, you know, like you said, day seven rolled around, if it really feels like that mismatch, I it, it's going to be a big, a big move, I think, mm-hmm. for, for some folks, but... If you're a job seeker and you go to the person who hired you and say, you know what, there's a there's an issue here and I want to make sure that that this is still a fit because it's not mm-hmm. feeling like one, I think you're going to have a, a lot of respect from them, number one. And number two, you're also probably going to have a better time finding a, a new position because you might even be able to take a, take a reference or something from that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great point you just made as far as going back to the person who hired you too. I I did that in this instance where like mm-hmm. the manager I, I told, hey, I got to – this isn't working. This is a mismatch. It was the same person who hired me, luckily. I would never encourage someone to walk out or quit on a job without talking to the person who hired you. I believe it's fair to do so because that person who hired you – is going to have to explain why you're not there. And they're going to have to explain why they chose wrong on you, which they did clearly because you're not there. <laughs> so you owe it to them to to leave, but to also to say, this is why it's not working out. And hey, maybe it's fixable. Maybe you are in the wrong role. Guess who would know what the right role for you is? The person who hired you. <laughs> That's totally fair. And, you know, speaking of hiring and things like that, you know, interviewing is a big part of, like, culture, too. And, mm-hmm. and various organizations have 
I guess, different ways of doing it. I remember, I remember how we used to do it when you and I worked together. It was mm-hmm. usually, what was it, three-on-one? I yeah. think it was a really interesting thing. I, I waffle on this a little bit. Was that good work culture that we were displaying to people? I don't know. What do you think? I loved it. And I think we were talking about red flags earlier. I think a big red flag is if I'm interviewing at a company and there's no one in the room who does my job. If the only people doing the interview are HR people, and I'm not knocking on HR people. I love no. you guys for, for for the Sherry's of the world out there listening to this. Right I on. love you. I mean this, okay? But I want to talk about the job with somebody who does the job. And if I go through one, two, three, four interviews without anyone else in the room who has ownership in working with me, that to me is not a good sign of culture. That's again, what a, what a thing to look out for. Like, mm-hmm. cause you, you can mask that. I think companies can kind of mask that to say, Oh yeah, well, you know, everybody's so busy on the phones or whatever it might be. And, and well, we're, we're the, the hiring crew and, and that's what we do all day. And that, that's great. Yeah. But you're right. I think it doesn't give you the actual, I guess, insight into the position if somebody who is doing what you're going to be doing isn't yeah. there. Well, and maybe it's not an entirely fair picture of Peyton, but this is the way I feel about it. It tells me you don't trust them to make hiring decisions. So, Interesting. Especially, you know, someone, for example, like I would want my supervisor, the person who's actually going to be in charge of me. I would love to have them in the interview process. Totally. And you're telling me that they're not worthy of being in the room with the person that they're going to be in charge of that. Why would I, that to me is just a slap in the face because it tells me that if I ever make it to a supervisor level, I'm going to have no ownership over the people that you hire for me. I'm going to be expected to work with whoever you choose for me, but also that my input isn't valued over what I need for my team. Because you've assembled teams, I've assembled teams in the past. Mm -hmm. A team isn't always made of the one type of person. You have to assemble a team of of puzzle pieces. You have to assemble a, a collection of personalities and work ethics and drive and desire to make a good team. So I know what I, if I'm a supervisor, I know what I have on my team already and I know what I'm missing. My HR department might have an idea, but they don't work day in and day out with that team. I do. So let me in on that hiring process. I will make time out of my day. Right. And so I guess that that is totally, totally something you can see mm-hmm. in a hiring process. Like this person is here from the role that you are wanting to be a part of or, or the department that you're wanting to be a part of. And they're they're here as kind of the representative from that. I think that's a really good sign of perhaps uh, something in the, in the plus column for culture, I would Agreed. think, correct? What are some What are some other plus column things, Chris? I love doing the walk because that tells the me a walk. lot about the culture. The, hey, we just finished up the interview. Let's walk around the building and you can kind of get a, a lay of the land kind of layout. 
because that to me tells me two things. Number one, I probably crushed the interview and they want me to actually walk around and like shake hands with people. And, and that's a good sign. A plus right there. Um, but it also gives me a great indicator, probably the best indicator I've gotten at that point in the, in the interview process of what the culture of the company is. Because if you can walk into a room and read the body language of, of the people in that room, you're going to know what the culture is like way, way better than at any point in the interview process. Watch how people react when their boss walks in or when you're looking through the window before the door opens. If you can see what the vibe of the room is like, if people look relaxed and having fun and then all of a sudden everybody, you know, acts like the principal walked in, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and they're in trouble, then, Ooh, something's not right here. You know, um, these are things that I, I love, taking that walk with the people who are interviewing for me because it's extremely informative to me. I love picking up on those cues and I encourage people to, to do that. If you have the chance, if, if you ever finish an interview and they say, Hey, can I give you a tour? Say yes. I don't care what you have next on your schedule. Say yes. You will learn a lot about that job. Uh, that's that is a money piece of advice. Good sir. And again, and making sure that, that everybody here, if you're looking for that job and they offer the offer the tour, take the tour because mm-hmm. not only you're right does it let you see the culture, but it also builds a stronger bond between you, the interviewer, any managers that you encounter, things like that. And we, we've talked about in episodes past, you're there to convince them that you're one of them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And anytime I've made it to the tour process of an interview. I start walking around like it's just a matter of time before I'm working with these people, right? right. Like, hey, hot, good to meet you. I'm Chris. I'll be working right over there in the corner. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I, it makes me feel like I belong there already. Yeah, definitely can. That's for sure. So what other, other signals in an interview are really good work culture in your mind, Chris? I think that an ability to ask genuine questions in an interview that make me feel like even if I don't get the job, they still want to know what kind of person I am is a great indicator of culture because it means that these are people who in their workday environment are still given the freedom to be curious and curiosity to me only can happen with good culture. If, and and I'm sure you've been through this. I'm sure many of your listeners have been through. We've all been through an interview process where it feels like the person was just mailing it in. Oh yeah. (laughs) That either they just hire everybody, but the interview is just kind of a formality, but they're just so desperate for people that if you apply, you're hired. They just drag to the interview process anyways, or they are unhappy in their job or their role and they're just mailing it in. And it stinks and it's unfair for, for everyone involved. And it isn't necessarily a good indicator that the culture of the company is very good. But I am a firm believer that if you have people who come across as genuine and curious about you and ask revealing questions that are designed to figure out what kind of person you actually are, that they're healthy and a healthy environment has been given to them. And that to me is a place I would want to work in. Wow. And that's, I think you're right. The phoning it in one is on the surface really 
almost a no-brainer. It's like, oh yeah, that guy hates his job over there. There might not mm-hmm. be a good culture here. But mm-hmm. when you when you think about the the depth that you just went into it with the this is how there's the thought process behind it, how they're thinking, how they are mm-hmm. allowed to act and learn and grow and things like that. I think that that reveals a lot more about a culture initially and whether it's good or bad than mm-hmm. is maybe on the, on the face value there, man. That that's again, an excellent, excellent conclusion there. So I want to put the shoe on the other foot here a little <laughs> bit. Okay. So if you're sitting in an interview, what are some things that look or sound like good culture, but really aren't. And this is just a personal pet peeve of mine, so don't take it any way. If you promise me that we do pizza parties, or we have a weekly lunch, or anything that I feel like is a ploy to bribe me with like food or you know trinkets instead of telling me why the work itself is actually good. I'm not coming to your company for a meal. It's great that some companies provide like weekly lunch for their employees. That's a tremendous, that's a tremendous asset. It is not a benefit. It it goes back to what I was saying before about benefits there. Some things are just designed to be a thing that a company provides for their employees. A weekly lunch is not one of them. Right. Like it's not next to the 401k, but it's also not a reason that's going to win me over. You know, if I have two companies that are competing for my 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 services and they're both equal across the board, I'm not going to say, well, company A offers lunch and company B makes me bring my own. That's not going to be in my decision making at all. And I think that along that same theme, if you're offering something that you think is a tremendous benefit that only your company offers. And that's going to be the icing on the cake that convinces me to come work for you over, over your competitor. Maybe it's not as good as you think it is. You know, maybe you need to evaluate the people that I guess what I'm trying to say is like, if you have to bribe me in the interview process, or you're, you're trying to bribe me in the interview process that I get a bad vibe from that, you know, like I, I want you to win me, not seduce me. <laughs> okay. And that, that's really interesting. Cause again, with our, our history, mm-hmm. we were both worked at a company where meals and food and, and, and booze and all sorts of other things like that were kind of all over the place. And, right. but, and, and let me just, cause I want to ask you this, was that part of your interview process though? Cause it wasn't for me. That was never a part okay. of my interview process. Like that was never a thing that that company told me during the interview as a, you should come work here because, you know, we'll give you a beer or, or every once in a while, or we do a free lunch. Like that was mentioned as like, oh, hey, we have clean toilets and, you know, sparkling water. And by the way, we'll feed you every once in a while. Like it was mentioned as like a fringe, like, hey, everyone gets this if they work here type of deal, not as a perk to come work here. And maybe like, and again, if that was your interview, then by all means. <laughs> well, I, I can, I'm a little bit chubby. So yeah, it, it was, that was not my interview, but, but no, when, when you differentiate it like that, yeah, that, that I think is what folks should really take away from this is that yes, there are companies that you should consider that do provide really great stuff. I mean, when mm-hmm. they're, you know, we would have the all hands meeting at, at the company we were at, 
yeah, lunch would be would be catered afterwards. It was a great mm-hmm. thing to build the culture of the company and get with your mm-hmm. colleagues and mm-hmm. not necessarily talk about work or anything like that. But you're right. If they're just dropping a pizza party on you every quarter, yeah, that's not really and and touting it as this big like thing. Mm-hmm. I think that that's something to definitely watch out for in culture. And again, sounds good, but really doesn't amount to much. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, a good good differentiation there, man. Really good. It's important to just treat it as a normal thing you do. Got it. If it's just a normal thing you guys do, then that's not part of the interview process, you know? <laughs> okay. And I, that's a very good distinction. Very good distinction. So what's another cultural thing, Chris, that looks great on the surface, but if you dig a little deeper, it doesn't really hold up? Hmm. That's a great question. And the first thing that comes to mind is like, you know, we encourage our employees to grow, right? Like okay. we encourage professional development. I was looking at a, a job posting earlier before we started this interview. And one of them was like, you know, we believe in supporting our employees, like professional growth. And it was left as like this open-ended thing. It's like, that's awesome. Tell me how you actually grow your employees, though. You know, like, don't just leave it as, like, we encourage our employees to become better people. Sweet. That's great. It doesn't mean anything on the surface, though. Tell me, for example, in this posting, it was like, if if you start at the entry level, we're going to, you know, we'll teach you how to be a manager at some point. Awesome. So tell me there's a program in place. If you do, if you get started here, you can... Do the Chris Zahn, you know, fast track to promotion LLC, whatever sure. <laughs> pathway, you know, um, like tell me what the actual plan is instead of just give me a buzzword of, hey, if you do good, you might have good things happen to you, which is really what it basically boiled down to. And that to me is, again, just more fluff. It. it Everyone has fluff on their websites. Everyone has fluff on their job postings. You're not unique for offering, you know, some of the certain things. What I would encourage more employers to do is recruit themselves. And by that, I mean, evaluate. If I'm looking for one Rob Conlon, there's only one out there. If I'm looking for him, you know, look at what my competition is trying to offer him. And find out what makes me different than than what they offer. If we're all offering the same thing, if we're all offer, we're all offering Rob a four hundred one k and health and dental and free lunch and maybe a company car, you know, like if we're all offering that same stuff, then what's going to make him choose me? And then go from there. Got it. Again, just great. Again, one of those things that is. <laughs> You say hollow uh, fluff, and I think hollow promises are possibly yeah, the way, to, dis- way. to really describe this. Is when when a company says to you, "Hey, you can be a manager, but it's it's a shell. It's mm-hmm. this. You can be a manager, but there's no substance inside there." So I think for folks who are interviewing in a new pos- a new potential job, they have a real opportunity to kind of sm- uh, sniff that out at first mm-hmm. and be like, "Hmm." 
that smells like a hollow promise. Or, of course, it's a, tr- a trigger to trip to say, hey, that sounds like a hollow promise, but mm-hmm. I should get the I should get the meat. I should get what's inside of that hollow promise. Yeah. And that goes back to when I was talking earlier about, like, for example, having my supervisor in the room. If I'm starting mm-hmm. entry level and I have my supervisor in the room, one of my favorite questions to ask during the interview process is, how did you get here? Right. Like I, I've asked that, like, how did you get to your level That's a good question. as a supervisor or manager? Where did you start and what was your pathway to get there? I understand it's not going to be the same pathway for all of us, but tell me your process and that will tell me a lot. It's a tremendously useful asset to have someone in there who can say, here's how you get to my seat. Nice. Yeah. And then that, and what a, what a concrete pathway for you. You can probably repeat it, which is great. Mm-hmm. All right. This next question I've been waiting to ask. I actually <laughs> pulled this from higher because mm-hmm. I wanted to ask a little bit later. The first part of culture is cult. <laughs> Are the best cultures cults? I feel like they have to be. Like, it doesn't ever set out to be the case no one ever plans on forming those kind of bonds with each other but it does just kind of naturally happen you know if you look at what makes a good cult (laughs) you have to start with charismatic leadership right obviously sure but also with people that all support each other they all buy in together and i think the buy-in part is what makes every good team-based environment whether it's the military or an actual you know cult (laughs) the buy-in is what makes anything that a group of people do special when you have a group of people that all buy in collectively together to whatever the mission is then you're going to do some beautiful, beautiful things. But you cannot have it without the buy-in. Hey, listeners, we're going to take a quick break here for some of the business side of running a podcast. These sponsors not only believe in this show, but they may have a product, service, or even an open position that can help you end your job hunt. Give them a listen and drop by their websites in thanks for their help in supporting this show and your work search. Hey, folks, it's Rob. A lot of times on this show... We talk about the power of networking to find a job. Well, networking is exactly how we wound up partnering with our newest sponsor, CoinList. So you're asking yourself right now, Rob, what is CoinList? Well, CoinList is a San Francisco and New York City-based technology company that provides investors with access to the most cutting-edge investment opportunities in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space. On CoinList, investors can access the best new crypto tokens before they list on other crypto exchanges, and it pays to be early in crypto. Now, right now, they have two special offers for listeners of Recruiting Hell. The first, as a Recruiting Hell listener, you'll earn $10 of Bitcoin when you create an account and trade at least $100 worth of assets on the CoinList trading platform. That's right, you heard me, free Bitcoin. Just visit www.coinlist.co slash recruitinghell to get started. The second is something that could end your time in recruiting hell altogether. CoinList is hiring. You heard me right. CoinList could be your next great opportunity for work. Excited about cryptocurrency? Got a passion for technology? Find CoinList's open positions today 
at coinlist.co slash jobs. That's coinlist.co slash jobs. And when you do, be sure to tell them Rob sent you. We're back. A big thank you to our sponsors for their offerings, as well as you for considering them. On with the show. Interesting. And again, the charismatic leadership mm-hmm. that gets people to buy in is is probably the thing there. So I guess I guess it's weird that we're all looking to make our own little cults <laughs> at work, which is bizarre, but it's yeah. it's fairly true, man. I think it's fairly yeah. true. But and I feel like so here's and I think I gave a lightning talk about this after you had left our common employer. Oh, really? I gave a I gave a talk about this one day and I was like, we are not a cult, okay? It just so happens to be that the most easily accessible word for a group of people that all buy into a collective mission, one of those is cult. (laughs) I believe we're using the wrong word to describe the same thing. If we called it, um, you know, synergy, which is way too buzzwordy, right? Right, But like, it's really what we're looking for. We're looking for buy-in. We're looking for teamwork we're looking for um gung-ho you know some stick to together you know camaraderie whatever you want to call it that's what we're looking for it just so happens to be that the most common examples we can point to of what it looks like to have a couple hundred people buy into this one thing at the same time are cults because we don't elevate companies culture to pop star status you know when we talk about like an Amazon, for example, we talk about how great of a company they are and how rich Jeff Bezos is and how hugely, you know, massive their operation centers are and how many employees they have, right? We don't ever talk about their culture and how they got their culture, how they got so big by getting so many people to buy in. I'm pretty sure Amazon is a cult the same way some of these other companies are, right? Don't sue me, Bezos. But if you think about it, like this is a company that started off very small. Right. Yeah. And, and and they're now massively, massively huge as a company. You don't get that way without getting people to buy in. So no one's ever going to accuse that company of being a cult, but the tendencies are the same. You got people to buy in. Interesting. We'll have to have a little further conversation yeah. about it's, that. I, I, the point I'm trying to make is it's the right word, but the wrong word. <laughs> Fair enough. It's the I'll, right I'll word give because you that. It, is, it is accurate, but it has so much negative connotation. The problem is I can't think of a better word. <laughs> right. And may, maybe that's what we – one of the things we've developed. Listeners, if you have a better word for culture or cult – <laughs> Drop it to the recruiting hell uh, podcast at gmail.com. Please do. Please, <laughs> Please do. do. I'd love to hear what they are. Yeah. I so, know many words, and somebody's probably going to drop it in there. We're, we're both going to go, ah, uh, yep, that's the one I is. was looking for. <laughs> yep. Good deal. All right. So I have one last question before I turn the tables on you again, as you know. Okay. Chris, what are some questions that we can ask our interviewer that are not only great during an interview, but in that section afterwards that what are your questions kind of thing that pertain to specifically culture what are some things that folks can ask in their interviews don't be afraid to ask what your future looks like i feel like especially if you're starting like at an entry level or maybe a mid-level position Mm -hmm. the temptation is to ask questions centered around you know your immediate success in the job you know 
um, what gets me through my first 90 days or, you know, what are you looking for to hire me, so on and so forth. Um, a common question I ask is, what, what more do you want to learn from me today while I'm here? Which is an immediate question, you know, that that's I'm in the room, I'm here, but it doesn't necessarily answer the question of what, what does my future look like? What I've learned to do um, from listening to your show and listening to, to other smart people. Um, so, yes, you're a smart person. I was say, you're very <laughs> kind for lumping me in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is ask, you know, what does success look for me three years later in this company? You know, am I still in the same role doing the same exact job? Because if you think that's success for me, maybe we have different definitions of success. <laughs> um, so don't be afraid to ask about your future because you're already cementing yourself that I will take this job. But I want to know what's next for me here. Uh, another good question that I always like to ask, especially if I have someone like a supervisor from my same team in the room is mm -hmm. the, how did you get to your level position? And how do you grow your people is a favorite question of mine. And it's usually, and it's usually the one that stumps people because they haven't thought through it because it requires a deeper answer and it has to, because by that point in the interview, They've already given their elevator pitch. You've already given your elevator pitch. Like we've already eliminated all the uh, the fluff and the buzzwords, right? Like we've already exhausted right. all those resources. So by that point, I'm forcing you to think. How do you grow your people is a tremendous question. And as a interviewer, it's something you should be prepared to honestly answer. And if you don't have an honest answer for this is how we grow our people, you're doing it wrong. Maybe you should focus on how you can. Gotcha. And that's probably the most culturally revealing question mm -hmm. for somebody who's in an interview to say, how do you grow your people here? And the interviewer has to really almost lay that out for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that how they lay that out is a great way to see a little bit under the hood of what the culture is at that mm -hmm. organization. That's awesome, dude. Exactly. That is great. Do you have one more for me? Oh, God. <laughs> The problem is I don't ever plan these things, right? They just come to my mind. No, I kid. Another question I ask is when we meet in 90 days to discuss that you hired me and you ask me how my first 90 days, what do you like? What do you hope I say? Because I'm putting the onus on them and I'm, I'm, t I'm making them tell me what their definition of my successful 90 days looks like, right? I can tell you what I hope my first 90 days looks like. What I'd rather hear is what you think, because that to me tells me you have a clear idea of what you're visualizing for success in this job. And this is the expectations that are really being set for me. Got it. And again, those can be kind of cultural expectations too. I expect that you, mm -hmm. you know, integrate well with the team. I expect that you expect that you have participated mm -hmm. in, in events and things like that that are mm -hmm. maybe not after hours, but the company sponsored. I think that you know that's another thing that's oftentimes overlooked is you know what does mm -hmm. the company do in the community 
that contributes to its culture as well, which is great. Absolutely. Good deal. All righty, my friend. I'm stepping back from my questions <laughs> right now. And normally okay. I ask what is the one thing that I didn't ask you, but I think this has to be deeper than just the one thing. I want to open it up to you to just talk about what culture means when folks are seeking a job, either if it's in an interview or if it's in the application process and, and go. It goes back to what I said at the beginning of the interview. We're all looking for a place to call home. And I think that's just as human beings, something that we're, we're naturally inclined. I have always struggled with job hunting because for me, my job search usually goes one of two ways. Either I just need money and I will take the first thing that gives me a paycheck or I can actually have the luxury of picking a place that's the right fit for me. And the difference between those two kind of job hunts is stark. It just truly is. I think that ultimately, if you have someone in front of you with a resume that has a lot of, it appears they've bounced back and forth between a lot of jobs. And I know companies will look at that and say, well, this person has a hard time settling down or they've bounced around to a lot of different companies. Like maybe they're the problem and the problem could be completely different. Maybe they just haven't found the right fit yet. And maybe you are the right fit. I would encourage people to own the fact that they are seeking that right fit. And that, yes, I've worked five different jobs this last year for a couple months at a time. Sure, that's on my resume. I understand that it can be viewed as a negative, but for me, it also is an indicator of strength and positivity that I know the environment that I will thrive in. And I'm hoping you're it. And I will keep hoping until I find it. That is profound, good sir. That is that it is <laughs> profound because so many people dread the gap on the resume. Everybody's got a gap because of COVID, folks. Everybody. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any it doesn't mean anything anymore. But the other thing too is that that job hopping thing mm -hmm. isn't necessarily always a negative. I really like that, Chris. I really think that that the way you frame it as a job seeker is likely very influential with any job offerer out there and rather than yeah. being like, well, that job sucked. No, that I knew that wasn't a fit for me. It was not my passion. It was not what I needed to do to feel fulfilled, you know? And, and that's yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's the hard mm -hmm. part. You have to be very, very honest with the people who are interviewing you. You have to be emotionally intelligent and you have to be able to eloquently explain why this wasn't the right fit for you and why you're hoping that the, their company is. You can't just have a gap on your resume or job hopping on your resume without a winning description of why that happened. I feel like I've bombed that in interviews in the past where I wasn't prepared to explain why I had a two-year gap on my resume. There wasn't a gap. I just didn't list the companies that I didn't feel like 
you know, mattered to you. You know, I didn't put down the couple months I waited tables, the couple months I tried to sell cars or like whatever. Like if there's a gap there, I didn't explain it clearly because I felt it was bad to have five different jobs in a two year period. I've learned now to be able to tell the truth of what my resume looks like. You have to be honest with the people that are hiring you about who you are as a person and why those opportunities didn't work out. And sometimes there are reasons that they may not agree with, but that's fine. <laughs> if it wasn't going to work out, it wasn't going to work out. <laughs> Absolutely correct. So anything else that we should be aware of while you've got the mic? Just be aware of yourself and how incredibly powerful you are as a person. It's easy to get sucked into, especially when you're interviewing for a larger corporation, mm -hmm. that you're interviewing to just be just a cog in the machine, to just be a small piece of the puzzle. Remember that they need you. If they didn't need you, you wouldn't be sitting in the room. So it doesn't matter how big the corporation is. You are needed in some aspect. So don't ever think otherwise during that interview process. And that will give you the freedom to talk honestly about why you want to be there as well. Man, does that dovetail nicely into the mission of this show, that people are worth more <laughs> than their work. Holy crap. That was... Was it's almost like me and you have talked about mm. this for years. Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> and we kind of see the world the I same think, way. I think we do. <laughs> Good deal, my friend. Well, I'm going to wrap her up here a little bit. And the final three questions I'm asking everybody this season mm -hmm. are potentially one-word answers. And if you want them to be a one-word answer, that's great. If you want to talk a little bit more in depth, mm -hmm. go for it. So the first one I have for you is, Chris, what is the number one thing you think is wrong with the way that the modern job search works. It's outdated. I feel like it's too formulaic and we all force each other to jump through the same hoops because the process itself is built around fax machines and newsletters still. The resume process, the interview process, none of this should take this long. Interesting. Definitely the first time we've heard that one on this so far, which is good. All right, number two. What's one thing that you've seen with the modern job hunt everyone doesn't do that they should? Social media. It's such a big audience that if you're not looking for employees on your actual Facebook, company Facebook page, then you're missing an opportunity. Because people that want to work for you aren't just on Indeed or Job or Monster or any of the other job hunting websites out there. They're on Facebook too. <laughs> and yeah, they might follow your company page because they like your work. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're hiring. Especially if you're like a smaller company like, um, for example, there's like a, uh, a window tint company out in West Bend. I like their Facebook page. They do good work. If they post a job, hey, we're looking for so-and-so, guess what? That organically comes up on my feed. Now I know about a job opportunity that I wouldn't have found on Indeed. Right. It's that 
it's that shadow job market almost that we, we sometimes exactly. talk about on this show. And I have a feeling that uh, that window tinting company, West Bend, might have something to do with shadows too, doesn't it? It sure does. <laughs> it sure does. It just drove by there yesterday. That's yeah. kind of funny. <laughs> but uh, no, it's actually really interesting because that's – we say to do social media. We say to do LinkedIn. We say to do things like that. But nobody ever really gets into the organic part of it, Chris. And I think that that's a really great way that you're taking folks to say, look, if you think a company is pretty cool – drop them a follow, you know, interact on their page a little bit. Mm-hmm. It might be to your benefit. Yeah. Well, it's, and, and vice versa. If people think your company is cool, guess what? They probably want to work for you too if you're hiring, but they only know that you're hiring through Indeed or job posting websites. They're never going to come work for you. Your brand is your brand and your brand also attracts people who want to work for you. So you have to have an organic way of reaching them. Right on. Last question, my friend. What's your number one LinkedIn tip? I got this from you, so it can't be a one. It can't be a one-word answer. I got ninety percent of my LinkedIn advice from you, actually, because I've seen you use it tremendously as a platform. Uh, be active. There's a pause for an expletive deleted in there, but be mm, active. Okay. The only way LinkedIn works is if you are actually using the platform. It's not like Facebook where people may stumble across your page through friends of friends or whatever, right? LinkedIn, you actually have to work and you have to be active on it. Otherwise, it's a ghost of a platform. And I know this because my LinkedIn is a ghost. (laughs) I very rarely have used it over the last seven years since I've had it. I'm trying. It's it's definitely got a lot of value, but I watch you and how you interact on there, and I go, man, the potential is huge, and Rob's exploring that. Yeah, it's it's really unbelievable to be like, okay, so if I look at the, the calendar right now, it's three fifteen twenty one right now. A year ago, I wasn't anywhere near as active as I was on LinkedIn because I was still at the time working. Uh, at the HVAC company I, I was uh, at in 2020, and two weeks, basically two and a half weeks from today, last year, I would lose that job. Well, the really interesting thing about that is that if you, if you're going and, and looking at what it takes to get bigger and better on LinkedIn, it takes a lot of work. And you're absolutely right, Chris, is that you have to feed that fire. You have to feed the engine of LinkedIn because it's not like Facebook where you're just doom scrolling your feed all day long. The feed, you create your feed almost on LinkedIn, even though it sort of does does some of it. It'll just feed you whatever. But if you want to see things that are more relevant to you, you have to curate and interact with it. Agreed. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm blessed that I've been able to see your growth on there. And, and truly, I sit there some days and I just take notes like, man, <laughs> Rob is right. <laughs> yeah, and, but it takes a long time too. And, you know, I, I don't know when you started in particular with, you know, trying to feed that engine a little bit more. <laughs> it takes eight, nine, ten months at mm-hmm. one to two times a day plus a boatload mm-hmm. of interaction with other accounts to actually get traction. I mean, I'm closing in on, you know, getting close to a 1,000 followers now, which is awesome. But... Mm-hmm. Man, did it take hours and hours and hours of work and a lot of giving to other people. I agree. Yeah, tons of fun. 
All right, my friend. Well, here it is. We are at the end of the show. If folks wanted to find more of you, Chris, what you're all about, and follow you on social media, where, of course, would they look? Uh, Facebook, Whiskey and Tacos, is my main page. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, you know, pretty much if there's a social media site out there for it, I generally have a Whiskey and Tacos page for it. Uh, best way to find me is through Facebook, Whiskey and Tacos, or if you want to be specific, facebook.com slash whiskey tacos. Uh, and then we can go from there. I have a beautiful website that I designed myself over you know course of a couple of glasses of whiskey. So I'm always open to improvements. <laughs> but by all means, um, for me, it's still very much the passion project that I am still finding my, my niche for. But... I've been blessed with a very patient audience that's willing to to wait me out until I, you know, figure out how to get this ball rolling, you know, the way I feel like it should. I would encourage anyone that if you're a fan of Rob, by all means, you should be a fan of me because Rob's a fan of me. I and, and I, I am. And I am a giant, giant fan of him. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to I usually don't correct where, where people are sending, you know, folks from this show. You guys got to follow Chris on Instagram. You have to. Mm -hmm. It's just like if you want pictures of delicious food and stuff like that and all the other things that you do with your life, man, all the fitness and the lifestyle stuff, man, like yeah. your Instagram just like warms my soul when mm -hmm. I see it, which is just great. Yep. So, Hey, whiskey.tacos on Instagram. That's the, that's the plug right there. Um, right on. No, it's, it's still very fun for me and it's still you're getting just me genuinely being me. I, I actually eat all that food that I post. It's not just pretty pictures. I actually go out and do the hikes that I post about, you know, nothing on there could possibly be formulated. Cause I, I'm not smart enough for that. I only know how to capture the real authentic me. Fair enough. <laughs> Good deal. And Hey, if you weren't eating those tacos that were on there, you're buying them. Obviously mm -hmm. let me know. I'll eat those tacos. <laughs> Indeed. Absolutely. Well, you make that trip down to Milwaukee, my friend, and we will hey, go you eat got them. It, buddy. You got it. We got to, got to hook up at some point in time. So Chris, it has been an absolute pleasure having you down here mm -hmm. in recruiting hell, my friend. Thank you for sitting in the hot seat today. Absolutely. As we draw this episode to a close, Remember, you are worth more than your work. Your value to society is not dictated by what you do to pay your bills. Job hunting is difficult, no matter your age, gender, location, or background, and it's both acceptable and to your benefit to seek every bit of help in conquering this challenge. For more from Recruiting Hell, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player or our YouTube channel, and don't forget to leave a review of the show if your podcast platform allows it. It's tremendously helpful. Connect with Rob via LinkedIn. Be sure to visit recruiting-hell.com to subscribe to our newsletter. And, of course, follow the show all across social media. Just look for the orange and blue flame logo. Recruiting Hell is a production of Westport Studios and is proudly made in Wisconsin. Lastly, be sure to visit and support our sponsors. They make it possible to do this show and make it better every single week. Remember, your job hunt is a marathon, not a sprint. And Recruiting Hell will be here to help you keep pace. Thanks for listening. Hey folks, it's Rob. Are you looking for a new opportunity in an up-and-coming industry that can help you get out of recruiting hell? 
Coinlist, one of the fastest growing companies in the cryptocurrency space, is hiring. That's right, they not only support this show because they believe in it, but they believe that there's great talent to be found in this audience. Generous comp, great flexibility, incredible benefits, a strong culture, and a powerhouse team sound like a fit for you? Head to www.coinlist.co slash jobs and apply today. That's www.coinlist.co slash jobs. And be sure to let them know that you found them here on Recruiting Hell.